So here we are today, the very last Sunday of the liturgical year. And just like every Sunday, we celebrate the Solemnity of Christ the King. And we're so used to doing this. The last Sunday of every year is always the Feast of Christ the King. But when you look historically, this is sort of a relatively new celebration. This Solemnity of Christ the King was only instituted, only instituted about 100 years ago, in the year 1925, uh, by Pope Pius XI. And this Pope instituted this solemnity for a very important reason. So 1925, kind of picture what's going on there historically and politically. This, of course, is seeing the rise of different totalitarian governments, fascism, communism, different political systems that claim to have absolute rule and control over people's lives and over the world. And in response to these growing totalitarian regimes, Pope Pius XI instituted this Feast of Christ the King in order to remind people, no, no human person is in charge. No human person has power over others. It is Christ alone who is our ruler, who is our king. And because of this, we live in a very different kind of kingdom. We try to build up a very different kind of world than these other totalitarian states sought to do. So although this feast is a quite a new feast, this idea of kingship or the theme of kingship is very old. All throughout the Old Testament, we see this idea of kingship being very important. So in the Jewish scriptures, having a king is right up there with having a temple and having land. These are kind of the three major institutions for Israel. They always look forward to or want to have or seek to have a land a king and a temple. And when we look at the Jewish scriptures, we see that this desire for a human king begins already in the book of Samuel. And we see the first person who is anointed king, not over all the tribes yet, but most of them is Saul. Of course, the kingship in Israel comes to kind of a peak in King David, who we know lived around the year 1000 or so. And King David was the only king of Israel who ruled over, well, his son did too, but he ruled over this united kingdom that had its maximum expanse. And it was to King David that God, through the prophet Nathan, made an incredible covenant. God said that there would always be a descendant of David on the throne of, of, in Jerusalem, this very, very strong, important covenant. And although kingship kind of peaked with David, it soon waned with his son Solomon. The kingdom was still united. But after his death, the kingdom split between the north and the south. So from that point forward then, the people of Israel have their hopes dashed a little bit about this hope of having a strong king who would rule over them. The northern kingdom, of course, was destroyed by the Assyrian Empire in around 722. The south, 150 years later or so in 586, by the Babylonian Empire. And at that point, the elite, the ruling elite in Jerusalem were led into exile in Babylon. And again, their hopes of this human king begin to get dashed and dashed. But still, even after the return from exile in the Persian, in the Greek period, people maintain this hope to have a king, a human ruler through which God will give them grace. God will protect them to take care of them. Slowly but surely in the history of Israel, this idea of having a human king is replaced with the expectation of having a Messiah, a king who is sent by God. 
Now, every king is a Messiah, kind of lowercase. Messiah just comes from the Hebrew word Mashiach, which is anointed one. So every king is anointed. So every king is a small case Messiah. But as Israel goes through its history, they believe on the one hand that God is always going to give them a king. And they have this covenant, especially in 2 Samuel 7, that God made to David. There's always going to be a descendant of David on the throne. So they believe this. They believe God is going to be faithful to this covenant. On the other hand, they have their very real experience, especially after the destruction of Jerusalem by Babylon, that they have no more human king. They long and they long for a king, but they're always under the subjection of another ruler. First, the Persians, the Babylonians, the Greeks, and ultimately the Romans during Jesus's time. And during this period in their history then, where they have this tension between promise and fulfillment, the people of Israel begin more and more to expect a Messiah, uppercase Messiah, a king, kind of the final ultimate king, who is sent by God, who would establish the reign of God in a definitive way. And we see this expectation in the first reading from the prophet Ezekiel. Ezekiel is one of the prophets active during the exile, and he looks forward to this time when God himself will shepherd his people. So as time goes on in the history of Israel, the idea of having a king is still important, but the transition is very significant. They no longer have hopes for a human king, for a lowercase messiah, but they have ultimate hopes for a final king, an uppercase messiah, the messiah, the savior sent by God, who is going to establish the kingdom of God in a definitive way. And of course, Jesus Christ fulfills this expectation of a Messiah, but in a totally unexpected way. So Jesus, we know early on in his preaching, some of the first words he said were how he, in his person, is bringing about the kingdom of God. In Mark's gospel, for example, the first words that Jesus says are, repent and believe the kingdom of God has come near. So Jesus then understood that he was this Messiah, the one sent by God, the one to be king in this final kingdom of God. But Jesus is a very unexpected kind of Messiah. Many Jewish people were expecting a Messiah who would be a military ruler. At Jesus' time, of course, they were under the oppression of the Romans, and they expected a military kind of ruler or king who would liberate them. But Jesus, we see, was an entirely different kind of king. We could say that for Jesus, his crown, his kingly crown, is always united to the cross. Jesus is a king who gives his life for us. Jesus is a king who was born in poverty, in humility. Jesus is the kind of king who came to serve, not to be served. At the end of his life, Christ gave his life for us that we might have life. Jesus, then, is the ultimate fulfillment of this longing for a king. And this is what we celebrate today, that Christ is the king. But we need to realize that he's an entirely different kind of king that we expect. He's a king who serves. He is a humble king. And this, in the end, impacts how we live our life. A king, of course, sets the tone for the entire kingdom. A king dictates how others ought to live. There's this story told, kind of, you know, how it goes, in a land far, far away, in a time long ago, or, or however it goes, there was this king who was close to the end of his death. 
and this king had no heir. There was no one to succeed him. So the king made an announcement and he said, people can come and kind of interview for the position of king to be my successor. And he says, anybody is free to come, but keep in mind this, my successor must be someone who loves God and who loves other people. So the word was sent out throughout his kingdom about kind of this job interview process to replace him as king. And in this small village, kind of on the outskirts of his kingdom, the villagers started talking because they recognized that there was a young man there who kind of fit the bill. And so they convinced this young man to go to the palace to interview to be the next king. And this man was pretty simple. He didn't really have any food, so they gave him some food for the journey. He didn't have a proper traveling cloak to keep him warm at night, so they gave him a proper garment to wear. And this young man set out and made his way to the city to kind of stand in line for all the people with all the other people to be interviewed for the role of the next king. And as he was making his way to the palace, he passed by a park. And he saw in this park an elderly man just kind of sitting on the bench looking hunched over. And he could tell that this man was in distress. He never cried out or never had any problems. But this young man had a kind heart and he went and he sat beside that elderly man. And he comforted him. He encouraged him. He gave him the food that he had. And he could see the man was a bit cold. So he gave him the cloak that the other villagers had given him. And after encouraging the man again, he made his way towards the palace. And he kind of waited his turn for his interview process. And finally, he was led into the courtroom. And as he's sitting there in the courtroom, they all expect the king to kind of walk in. And this young man had a shock when, of course, the king who walks in and sits on the throne is the same elderly man that he had helped in the park. So at that point, the king was able to announce, okay, look, we don't have to look any further. We have the new king, my successor, sitting here in front of us. He will be the new king. He is a man who loves both God and other people. And this, of course, is the message in the powerful gospel today from Matthew 25, that Jesus Christ is a king who wants us to serve others, especially the poor, those in need, those who are marginalized. And we hear these powerful words that whatever we do to the least of those, we do it to Christ. These words were, of course, so powerful for Mother Teresa, and she would often call this the, the, the five-fingered gospel, or the gospel on five fingers. She'd say you could summarize the entire gospel of Christ in this way. You did it to me. Just five words, one hand, that's all you need. And Mother Teresa, of course, encouraged us to serve the material of poor, but she also encouraged us to serve those who felt unloved, unwanted, abandoned by others. Jesus then is this remarkable king, an unexpected king who calls us to serve and love our neighbor. So today then on this last Sunday of the church here, we remind ourselves that Christ is our king. It isn't quite like in 1925 where we have these other totalitarian states, but there's other kind of things or ways of thinking that try to take our claim of power over our lives. Today we remind ourselves that Jesus Christ is our ultimate king, but an unexpected kind of king, who teaches us that in the end we'll be judged in our lives on how we treated the least of those around us.